good morning. Hey, uh, good to be here with you. If you're a guest, glad you're here as well. Warm welcome to you. Uh, those of you watching online, glad you're tuned in. And uh, just wanted to take a moment, um, just give you kind of a quick church update. Um, just so you know, um, we got Caleb Williams uh, helping to serve in the worship interim role for the next uh, few months. I think he's been doing a fantastic job leading us. Uh, Kelly Hedberg said she would serve in that role until uh, the beginning of, of May. She's a very busy woman, lots to do. Um, but I was hoping we could just show Kelly some love, give her a round of applause for serving. Yeah, we're in good hands. So uh, thanks for your prayers as we continue our uh, worship pastor uh, search. Uh, we have been in uh, our series, Check Your Heart, and we've said, um, just like we every once in a while need to check up on our physical bodies and, and do a checkup, there's, there's a time and a place to check up on how are we doing spiritually. Uh, I remember Danielle worked for somebody who... Uh, one day was just uh, out eating with his family and then um, keeled over uh, having some kind of heart attack right there in this restaurant. Unfortunately, they were able to get him to the hospital in time, but found out he had clogged arteries. And in that case, they were able to, to, to catch it in time and, and save his life. And then he was able to uh, take measures afterwards um, to, to prevent that from happening. Uh, but more important than even our physical hearts, our, our physical bodies, we, we, we've said taking care of our spiritual hearts, our spiritual selves um, is, is of uh, utmost importance. The wise man of, of Proverbs says that we need to guard our spiritual heart above all things because it is at the core of who we are. Our, our physical bodies will one day be laid to rest um, here, here on earth. Our, our, our heart lives on. Our heart is at the core of our soul. And so we've got to make sure we're taking care of our, our hearts. And, and, and I just wonder, have we, have we let anything creep up or creep in to our heart that could be toxic to our life, that could be toxic to, to, our, spiritual, to our spiritual self? There are enemies of the heart, and that's what we're talking about in, in, this, in this series. I, I, my hope for us is that we're going to have healthy spiritual hearts, okay? Uh, when I was uh, young, I, I had a dog named Ralph, and Ralph was an Australian sheepdog, one of the best dogs I ever had, a uh, very hyperactive dog, very, a dog that was very fast. Uh, if, if, if this dog got away from you, you weren't catching this dog until it wanted you to catch it. And Ralph uh, stayed pretty much in our backyard. We had a gated backyard uh, with one of those uh, gates uh, getting in and out that, you know, when you, it was spring, it was, you know, spring on us, so when you let go, it, would, it was supposed to sh slam shut and latch. But my dad would tell me, make sure when you go out of the gate that you check the latch to make sure it actually shut and, and, is, and is closed. But, but I'd been going out that gate, you know, for, for years, and I, I, I would go out, and, and I wouldn't check because i say, you know, that, that, that gate has always closed, and I come home, and Ralph is in the backyard. No big deal. But I could hear my dad in, in the back of my head, make sure you check the gate. 
that when you shut the door, make sure it actually latched. But again, I, I, would, I would leave, come home, Ralph was still in the backyard, no need to check the latch. What's the big deal? But my dad, he would get paranoid about this. It was like he was paranoid, like make sure you're checking the gate, that it's latched. But I would go out the gate and I wouldn't check. You know why? Because when I'd come home, Ralph was still in the backyard. What's the big deal? Until one day I came home and Ralph wasn't in the backyard. And I had to then go scramble. And guess who had to spend the next four hours trying to hunt down Ralph? Okay? And uh, it took four hours to catch this dog who marked every mailbox in a two-mile radius. And until he was tired out and, and actually... Uh, lie down so I could actually grab him and get back. It, it, it took all night to get Ralph back in, in, into the backyard. But I, you know, it, it, everything had been fine until all of a sudden it wasn't. The gate had always latched until one day it, it didn't. And, and, and this can happen in our lives where we, we make excuses and, and we say things like, you know, it, Maybe I, I'm dabbling in something that I kind of know deep down I shouldn't be dabbling in, but nothing's ever come of it, so what's, what's the big deal? Or maybe we make an excuse, you know, everyone else is doing it. What's, what's, what's the big deal? Or, or maybe we even say things like this, because as Christians, we, we, we tend to know that there's such a thing as sin and things we should and shouldn't do. And maybe we even find ourselves saying, but this is, this is one of those Good sins. You, you know, if you knew how terrible this person was and you saw the grudge and the anger and the revenge I take on this person, you would realize this is actually one of those good sins. This person really deserves it. Or maybe you're out there and you're saying, you know, you're, you're, you're dating someone right now and you know you're not equally yoked. You know they don't believe what you believe, but it's a good sin because maybe you could lead them to Jesus. So you justify it as being a good, a good sin. And uh, maybe at some point you actually had, you know, uh, you, you, you believed you were going to find that person who was a Christian who believed what you, and now you've gotten to the place where you're just saying, you know, do they have a job? And some of you are even beyond that, and you're saying, do they have a pulse, okay, at this point? Are they breathing? And you've compromised. You've compromised. Um, and by the way, if you're out there and you're going, uh-oh, I think somebody's going to break up with me after this message. Here, I have a quick solution for you. Uh, just become a Christian, okay? <laughs> Put your faith in Jesus. Problem solved. Say, I'm looking out for you looking out for you too, but there's these areas of our life that we, we're, we're tempted to compromise, and we have all kinds of excuses for, for doing it, but compromise is one of those things that when it creeps into our heart, it might be okay for a while, it might be okay for a season, everything might seem fine until all of a sudden it isn't, and that's why we've got to deal with this issue of compromise. Have we let any kind of compromise into our hearts today when it comes to our faith. Now, before I jump into it, 
I want us to understand that as believers, we believe in something called objective truth. Okay, we, it means we believe in concrete truth. We believe in spiritual truths. We believe in moral truths. And, and you need to understand that's very different than what the world says it believes. I actually believe the world does actually believe in objective truth as well. But what they, they say they believe is that everything is relative. And, of course, this is rooted in atheism or naturalistic Darwinism, this idea that we're all just here by accident. We're just here randomly. We just somehow got here. No explanation for how that happened. But if that's true, then the implication is there is no standard of moral truth. There is no objective spiritual truth. So we make up what we want to believe. We can determine whatever our morals or spiritual beliefs are. As Christians, we're not afforded that luxury. And by the way, the world does really believe in objective truth. And here's how you can find out real quick. Just steal someone's wallet or purse. And all of a sudden, justice exists, right? All of a sudden, there is a moral point that this is an injustice, and there is something greater than ourselves that says this is wrong. All of a sudden, everybody believes in objective truth when it affects their life. But they will say they don't, and why? It's to justify our desires the Bible would call, in many cases, evil desires, our sin desires. It's, it's to justify those things. But as Christians, we are not afforded that luxury. God gives us his word to teach us these realities. And it's for our good. That's why as Christians, we ought to hunger and thirst for the word of God. Because even though we can't see these things with our physical eyes or touch these things with our physical hands, these truths guide our lives so that we can experience the abundant life Jesus promised us. The enemy wants to come in and kill, steal, and destroy, and one of the greatest ways he'll do that is getting you to buy into that there is no such thing as truth and compromise these truths in your life. But as Christians, we believe in objective truth. Now, what happens when we compromise these truths? What happens when we compromise our faith? At least two, two things happen, and the first is it costs us influence going to cost us um, an influence with, with others. Jesus made this very clear in Matthew 5. He said, you, talking to his followers, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Um, and Jesus isn't saying here that the salt itself would stop being salty that can't happen. But what Jesus is saying is that other things would get into the salt, sand and rock and other things that where they would get the, this salt from. And, 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 and it's an idea of saying the worldliness gets in and it dilutes the salt to the point where it's not salty anymore. You can't use it anymore, so you throw it out. And Jesus is saying the same thing if we let this idea of moral and spiritual relativism creep into to our hearts so that we're not living what we say we believe, he's saying we're not going to have any influence with others. We, we won't have any influence in the world. It's, it's basically a form of what we could call practical atheism. We say we're believers, but our, our, our beliefs or our, our actions 
don't line up with our beliefs. And it seems to suggest we, we don't believe what we say we believe after all. And, of course, the world doesn't respect that, and we lose influence. People stop taking us seriously. Just think about if somebody told you that they're serious about their health, and they're trying to get healthy, but they're eating every meal at McDonald's. Shoving French fries into their burger and guzzling it down with a giant Diet Coke, right? Yeah, you're not going to take that person very seriously. And when they come along and say, I'm a frugal person, but they're buying things they don't need. Eventually, you're going to stop taking that person seriously. And this is what Jesus is teaching us. If we say we believe something, we don't live according to it, people will stop taking us seriously. We will lose influence. But here's the second thing that compromise costs us. Not only does it cost us influence, it costs us blessing. I love this passage from Deuteronomy 28. I want to read this for you. Man, we should soak this up and take this in this morning. This is God talking to us, talking to his people. He says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings I will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, meaning your children, and the crops of your lands and the young of your livestock, the calves of the herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trowel will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. And, and this goes on for an entire chapter. What an amazing promise of God. And maybe some will say, well, that's the Old Testament. Man, the Old Testament got promised. No, no, no. This is a New Testament teaching as well. Hebrews eleven six 6 says that God rewards those who seek him. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't still love us. It doesn't mean we're not still the children of God when we, when we act up and don't live according to the way he's taught us to live. But it will mean we will Miss out on blessing. And this is something I firmly believe. Friends, obedience breeds blessing in our life. It, it, it will bring. When, when I'm living according to the ways of God, when I am filled with the Spirit, and I am walking in step with that Spirit and, and living the way, I can't tell you. It's just, it's like, it just, there's a harmony in life. It seems like my marriage is better. It seems like my relationship with my kids is better. It just seems I'm happier. Just, I mean, isn't that what Jesus says? Blessed? The Sermon on the Mount? The Beatitudes, blessed, that word literally means happy. We live according to God's ways. And yet when I don't and I dabble in things and I get away from that and I start ah, compromising some things in my life, I can feel it. You, you can feel it. It's something you can experience happening in your life. Now, please don't hear me saying health, wealth, and prosperity here or that I mean life's going to be perfect if you walk in obedience. We know that's not true either. In fact, just this past week, and I feel like I've been in a really good place spiritually, but I was, I was putting together this basketball kit, you know, this basketball hoop for my kids. They got it for their birthday. Hardest thing I've ever put together in my life, by the way. 
Things must have weighed hundreds of pounds. And, and friends, I've put IKEA furniture together, and it was harder than that. Like I've put bed sets that came in the size of a shoebox together. This thing was hard. I almost passed out because my hands were over my head, so much of it trying to do it, and I got so tired. And finally, I got it put together, I got it made. I was like, oh my God, I'm at the, I could see, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel here with this thing. And I don't know if you remember, Thursday night, not, not Wednesday, but Thursday night, this one gust of wind came through. I, I don't know if anybody experienced this. It was just like one gust. It was before the front came in. It's this strong power. Well, look, I was out there. It happened right as I put it up for the first time. But the basketball set up, that gust of wind came and not only did it fall on me, like it blew it on me. I thought I dislocated my shoulder. I mean, this thing fell right on me. And I'm sitting, I'm like, I like thought I was being spiritually attacked. Like I was rebuking the winds in the name of Jesus. Now, Danielle tells me even that was a blessing in disguise. Uh, because she said it could have fallen on one of our kids. So she actually called up the company. They're taking it back. She's like, we're getting rid of this thing. So she's telling me it's a blessing in disguise. Could have fallen on the kids. She's just glad it fell on me. <laughs> but so I'm told it's a blessing in disguise. I can't move my shoulder much, but it's a blessing. I'll take it. According to my wife, all right? So I'm not saying life's going to be perfect. Things like that happen even when you're doing really well with the Lord. But guess what? It's still better. It's still better. Having Jesus in our life, walking in step with the Spirit, even when life's hard, it's still better. The blessings that come from, from God. And when we begin to compromise, we can literally feel it begin to slip away. And our joy goes and our peace goes. At least those internal things start to leave our, our life, okay? And so this morning, with the rest of our time, and we'll have to work, work through this quickly this morning, but... I want us to look at someone who didn't compromise, but rather was a person of conviction. He was not willing to compromise, and he wasn't always like this. It took some time for God to work in his life, but he becomes a man of conviction. And I'm talking about Moses, when God tells Moses that he's going to have to go stand in front of Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world, and say, I want you to let my people go. Command Pharaoh, somebody who could have him killed on the spot, to let the Israelites go. And, and what we're going to see is that Pharaoh is going to have these suggestions for Moses. These compromises he wants Moses to make. And in the same way, friends, the devil has compromises, suggestions in our life that he wants us to make. And I want us to learn what those are so that we can avoid those. We read this in, in Exodus 8, 28. This is the first suggestion Pharaoh makes when Moses says, let my people go. He says, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. Okay, so first what Pharaoh's saying is, you can go and get a little bit out of that system, but you can't go all the way. You can't go very far. The first thing that the devil wants us to compromise, friends, is our commitment. You can be casual. Just don't be committed, okay, to going all the way. Don't be one of those Christians who might be deemed radical or 
one of those Christians who might be deemed as, you know, extreme because you're, you're so committed to the Lord. I, I, I'm, I'm happy to tell you that your pastor is a proud, black card carrying member of a prestigious gym in the metro area. Your pastor is a proud black card. They literally call it the black card membership. I am a black card carrying member of a prestigious gym in the metro area. I have paid my annual due. I have paid two monthly fees for this gym. Your pastor has yet to step one foot inside of it. (laughs) And here's why. Because I like the idea of going to the gym. I like the idea of getting into shape. I like the idea of working out. Like, I like the idea, but I'm not committed to it. (laughs) There is no commitment. And I can't help but wonder, though, how many of us like the idea of being a Christian? Like the idea of being a Christ follower? Like the idea of being a part of the church? We just don't want to commit to it. Friends, and I'm telling you, this is one of the things Satan will try to get us to compromise is, is our commitment to, to Jesus. He's fine if you want to be casual. Have a casual faith. But as soon as anything gets hard, challenging, you're, you're, you're bowing out. Joshua says this uh, to the people of Israel. This is after the people have been led out of Egypt. They're about to go into the promised land. And Joshua's going to say a choice needs to be made. And we read this in Joshua 24. Listen to this. I love it. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served before the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Friends, this is a commitment. He said, we're going to put a stake in the ground. This is who we're going to be. This is who our family is, is going to be. Got to... If we don't make that commitment, we probably will live a casual kind of faith and miss out on the blessings God has for us. Okay, so that's the first compromise God wants to, or or, or Satan tries to get us to, to make, is to break our commitment, not make a commitment to God. Compromise that commitment. Don't be too committed. We read on. This is the second suggestion that Pharaoh's going to make. The, he says, the Lord be with you if I let you go, along with your women and children. Listen, clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you have been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. So do you see the second thing? The devil tries to get us to compromise on here. Our children. What's the compromise of children? The devil knows there is a war for our children. Do you? There is a war going on for our children. Culture understands this. There's a culture war going on for our children. Christians, do we understand? But Satan wants us to compromise our, our children. Okay? And, um, you know, it's even popular today to hear people say, well, I'm going to let my kids grow up and, you know, believe what they want to believe and explore 
their own faith and their own morality. But let's be honest about that. You don't do that in any other area of their life. Like if little Johnny comes home and sparks up a cig, you going to sit there and let him smoke that thing down to the nubs? No, 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 no. You're not going to let little Johnny smoke a cigarette. And you're probably every once in a while going to take a piece of broccoli and shove it down little Johnny's gullet. <laughs> so he gets a vegetable in himself. And you know why? Because you love little Johnny. And you care about little Johnny. And you want the best for little Johnny. And yet then when it comes to the most important thing in their life, we say, no, we're just going to leave it to them. We're going to leave it to the world. Friends, we don't do that. There's a war going on for everybody. We cannot compromise our, our children. Um, God says this to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 6. He says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Now listen, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. He's saying, talk about it with your kids all the time. Model it for your kids all the time. It needs to be front and center on our hearts. And sometimes we let things like sports and activities get in the way and we start compromising our children. And don't get me wrong, we want our kids to grow up and be successful. And uh, we want our kids to have opportunities like everyone else. But I'm just telling you, my experience has been, I find that if you will first point your kids to Jesus, God will take care of them, raise them up right, and give them opportunities you never could. And this is why I love being a part of a church where we say we're going to fight for family. Amen? Amen. This, is, this is what fight for family is all about, helping to raise. We're not going to raise your kids for you as pastors here and leaders here at Edinburgh Church, but we are going to come alongside of you and help reinforce, hopefully, what you're teaching in the home. That's why, as far as I know, we are the only church that when we do child dedication and dedicate children to the Lord here, we the pastors don't do that. We do a class where mom and dad learn how to pray and lay hands on their own kids, and then they get up here in front of the church and bless their own kids. Has that not been amazing to see? Okay, we do this intentionally because we want to train mom and dad to be the one who is blessing their children in, in their home. We, we have baptism. Sometimes we, we see mom and dad baptizing their kids. That's something we encourage and want to see. Uh, we do a sex talk for, uh, for the younger kids because if we don't get to them, guess what? The world's going to teach them. <laughs> and so we want them to hear a biblical view that sex is good, but God did put boundaries in place for, for their good. When they get in the youth group, we do a social media teaching for our youth so they can see the dangers and use social media in a way that can, can glorify God and bless other people. This is all part of a fight for family and, and what, what sparked Fight for Family, honestly, was when I, I learned about something with um, the elephants, okay? Uh, I, 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 I didn't um, know this at the time, but I, I read that elephants, when they're being attacked and there's a prey in the area, you know what they do? They circle around their young. And they put their tusks out and they create this circle so that a hyena or any prey that might try to get them can't get them. And this is what sparked Fight for Family, friends, when we said, you know what, Satan, you're not getting our kids. They belong to Jesus. And we are going to fight for their future. 
Okay? We're not going to compromise our kids. Now, I know some of us out there, listen, I know some of us have prodigals, and that happens. We can't ultimately change anyone's heart, even our kids. It's something God has to do in his own timing, okay? But let's not forget that the prodigal eventually came home and that there's always hope. And it might take three years. It might take 30 years. They might be 80 years old. But don't forget what happened to the prodigal. You remember the prodigal came to his senses and remembered the goodness of his father's house. And so we teach them these things early on in life. And it might not be till they're 80 years old where they come to their senses and remember those times spent in the presence of Christ and with the Holy Spirit. And the goodness that flowed from God. Second thing we're not going to compromise is, is our children. But there's one last compromise. This is what Pharaoh says. He summoned Moses and he said, okay, go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds then. Okay, just leave your flocks and herds. Now, what is Pharaoh up to here? Well, Moses is going to kind of make it clear that they can't do that in verse 26. Look what he says. He says, our livestock too must go with us. I love this. Not a hoof is to be left behind. You say hoof or hoof? I don't know. It's a funny word. I like that, though. I'm not going to let a hoof or hoof, I don't know, be left behind, Pharaoh. He says, we have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. So here's what Pharaoh's like. You don't need to take your, your flocks with you. You don't need to make a sacrifice to the Lord. This is the third compromise the devil tried to do. He wants us to compromise the cost, the cost of being followers of Jesus you don't need to pay the cost. Don't compromise the cost. And yet Jesus says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me, what does he say there? So Jesus is saying we even have to be willing to, to take up our cross, I mean, lay down our lives to be his followers. Now, here's the problem. Most of us focus on the cost rather than on the gain Do you realize we gain so much? Yeah, Jesus says elsewhere, it'll cost us our life, but remember what he also says, if you're willing to lay down your life, what happens? You find it. You find true life, and that's what happens. See, the blessing is oftentimes on the other side of the cost. That's when we actually experience it. It's when we experience the blessing and receive that from the Lord. Many of you know that I used to drive a 2007 Kia Spectra 5. And my Kia Spectra, it was a car. It worked. But it started to have a lot of problems. Uh, the air conditioner stopped working. The heater didn't work. Kind of a problem in Minnesota, right? The speedometer stopped working. <laughs> I'd go buy those things, you know, on the side of the road. And it'd be seven miles per hour different. So I learned my spot. I was like, going to get me into trouble. The one good thing is I, I'd had that, what, for like 13 years? Something. It was under 100,000 miles. 
But then it dawned on me the odometer was broken too, okay? (laughs) This car was in poor shape. It was time to get rid of it. I liked it because I didn't have to pay anything for it, but it was time to get a new car. And so I went, and one thing led to another, and I found myself getting into a Jeep Gladiator, which I know as a pastor, we're supposed to be humble. I love this car. And there is no way you could get me to go back to that Kia Spectra. Now, I didn't like the down payment I had to pay. In fact, I was really frightened at first, and it was a, it was a lease thing, so don't tell Dave Ramsey, all right, I'm in this thing. And I had to put down this down payment. I didn't like the cost. But now that I'm in it, I have no regrets. And if someone said, you got to go back to the Kia Spectra, friends, I'd rather walk. (laughs) See, we often focus on the cost. We forget what we gain. What did we give up giving up our old lives? What What did it cost us? What did it cost us? Regret? Guilt? Shame? Darkness bumping around? Hurting ourselves, broken relationships, despair, no hope, fear of death. What did it get us? What did we gain? We gained, friends, the Bible says everything. Everything good. We gained a family. We gained a new identity, becoming the children of God. We got justification by faith because of how good Jesus is. We get an eternal hope. We get courage, and we get conviction to know how to live our lives. That's what we gain. I'm not going to focus on the cost. I'm going to focus on what I gain. And maybe some of you come in here today, and you're realizing, yeah, maybe there's some compromise creeping up, or maybe there's been some compromise there for a while. We all experience this from time to time. That's why we're doing this series. And and maybe some of us, it has been a commitment to Jesus, and that's you today. And this is an opportunity for you to say, I need to turn from that. Uh, I want to make a commitment. I want to put a stake down and say, that's who I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow this Jesus. Maybe some of you feel like you've compromised your children a little bit. Like, yeah, we've gotten a little carried away with some of these other things in church and Juana and VBS and other things. Opportunities, we're not really taking advantage of those. We started to compromise these things. So maybe this is an opportunity for you to say, okay, Jesus, um, help me. I want to repent. I want to turn from that. And I want to start pouring into our kids again. Maybe some of us have compromised the cost and we haven't been willing to lay our lives down and make that that decision and surrender. But that's why repentance is such a beautiful thing. I'm saying I'm going to turn. I'm going to turn from that and living like that. And I'm going to turn back to Jesus. And that's what's important for us to understand when it comes to repentance. It's not just turning from something. It's also turning to something or to someone. It's turning to Jesus. And I'm telling you, if you go from here and you feel like some of these things have crept up into your life, you heard something today, and here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want us beating ourselves up. That's not the answer, and it's not what God wants. What he wants us to do is to turn from it and to turn to him and to put our eyes on him. My, my father-in-law lives on, on 
few acres of land. And many years ago, he used to let me mow his yard, okay? He had one of those, like, rider lawnmowers, one of those turn mowers. It's like a man's mower. And he would tell me it's a privilege to mow his yard, according to him. I thought you could tow his boat with this thing if he wanted to. I had never mowed such a big yard in my life. I'd only do the, done the push thing. And so what would happen is I'd get to the other side of the yard and I'd look back and I would realize I hadn't made a straight line at all. It would be all over the place. Have you ever done this? And so he stopped me and said, here's what you got to do. There is a trick. It's actually a key. You, you've got to pinpoint a, a spot on the horizon. And those of you who maybe have ridden tractors, you know this, right? To make a straight line, you, you, you beeline it right towards that spot on the horizon. And if you do that, here's what will happen. You will look back, you will have made a straight line. Every time, it works. I'm not saying there's not a time and place to look, make sure you're not leaving some grass here on the sides, but you don't look to your side. You look to the horizon. Friends, do you understand this is what we do as believers? We don't try to find hope in ourselves. We don't sit there and beat ourselves up. We don't look at all the things that are wrong with us. We look to the one who's good. We look to Jesus. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and when that happens, guess what? Joy starts to creep in. Peace starts to creep in. Rest starts to creep in. Strength and courage and conviction, it starts to creep in. You know why? Because it flows from him. He's the one who gives it. He's the one who provides it. So I put my eyes on Jesus, and when my eyes are in Jesus, guess what? I live a straight life. I look back and I go, how did I get from there to here? It's because my eyes were on Jesus. And that's why Paul says this in Philippians 3. I want us to hear this this morning. Own this. One thing I do, he says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what? What is ahead? I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's my challenge to us this morning. You want to be a person of conviction? You want to be a person of courage? You want to be a person who stops compromising? All you got to do is one thing. Turn from your sin and put your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Amen? Let's do that as a people. Lord, we're going we're gonna to ask for your help to receive that this morning. Some of us, man, we've been looking around at the world. We've been looking around at the lies. We've been dealing with our own doubts and our failures. Jesus, I'm just praying you'll give us strength to take our eyes off of ourselves and put our eyes where they belong on you. And maybe this morning we could just let some of you just <laughs> seep into our hearts a little bit this morning. So Jesus, will you fill this place as we get ready to worship? Will you let your goodness seep into our hearts so that we walk out of here refreshed and filled and ready to live our lives for you? Because that's what we want. So fill us, Jesus, with your spirit today. We love you, and we thank you for your grace. Pray this in your name. All God's people said, amen. amen.